We are getting close to Easter, and last Sunday we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, we're moving closer and closer, and we're getting close to um, Easter. But before we go to Easter, we have to go by the way of the cross. Jesus, of course, is headed to the cross. And there are four graphic pictures of the crucifixion of Jesus in the Gospels, all four Gospels, as I shared last Sunday. It's interesting to note that the Gospels spend a great amount of time on the death of Jesus. Not simply His life and His teachings, but uh, there is a lot of the Gospels that are taken up with the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And there's a reason for that. But what if I told you that it wasn't simply uh, the Gospels that give us perhaps one of the most graphic descriptions of the crucifixion. It is a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. David, in the Psalms, gives us one of the most graphic descriptions of the crucifixion of Jesus. As a matter of fact, David uh, was not by our standards. We don't think of David as a prophet, although I'll read you a passage in just a moment that tells us that David was a prophet. But of course, David was a shepherd and and a king. But yet in the 22nd chapter of Psalm, the 22nd Psalm, and then the 23rd Psalm, which we all know, and then the 24th Psalm, David goes and gives us a panoramic picture of not only the crucifixion of Jesus, His sacrificial death, but also in the latter part of the 22nd Psalm, in the 23rd Psalm, he gives us a picture of the church age, And then if you go to the 24th Psalm, he gives us a picture of Jesus' second coming. So really, he's not Isaiah, he's not John the Revelator, but yet David, in those three Psalms, that we're going to look at them this morning, in those three Psalms, you see a picture of Jesus' death, His sacrificial death, of His resurrection, of the message of the church, of His work as our shepherd, in this church age, and then finally, His second coming and His crowning as King of kings and Lord of lords. So, I want us to take this morning, if you would, turn turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, and we're going to look at this graphic description of the crucifixion written 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified. Now, you're going to notice as we get into this seventh we get into this 22nd Psalm that you're going to recognize some of these verses. As a matter of fact, Jesus quoted several of these verses. Uh, And if you go into the New Testament, you'll notice that the, the 22nd Psalm is quoted, I believe it's seven different times that it is quoted in the New Testament. It is seven different times. And each time that it is quoted, it is referring to Jesus. It is showing that the 22nd Psalm is a prophetic passage that is prophesying about Jesus. Now many times in the Old Testament there is a story or there is a prophecy and it has a double meaning. It means something to the person that wrote it as this 22nd Psalm. David wrote this Psalm and he was talking about an event in his life. But it also had a meaning beyond his event that he was talking about. It had a prophetic Meaning, just like Abraham when he was called to offer up Isaac. You know, that is a a great representation of Jesus' death upon the cross. 
But Abraham did not know that at the time. He was simply going through the motions, doing what he was called to do. You go back to the Passover when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And that is a a, a great description when that Passover lamb, as a matter of fact, the New Testament, Paul quotes that several times and tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So all of those, many of those were shadows pointing to the cross in the Old Testament. And such it is with the 22nd Psalm. And it begins in verse number 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Now you all recognize, no doubt, that very first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We all know that that, though that passage is one of the seven statements that Jesus made while hanging upon the cross. Jesus quoted that very passage. And I'm going to go ahead and read, and we're going to come back to it. Notice verse 6. He says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Now let's go back to that first verse there, and let's go over to Matthew chapter 27 verse 45, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll read that passage where Matthew records that Jesus quoted here. He says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first thing, the first picture we get in the 22nd Psalm, Jesus is shown being separated from the Father. His separation, His loneliness. The Bible tells us that Jesus bore our sins upon the cross. And as He bore our sins upon the cross, God turned His back upon the cross. God can't look upon sin. And Jesus was separated from the Father so that we might be united with the Father. Everything you see on the cross, Jesus endures so that we might not have to endure that. That's the message of the cross. So Jesus endures a separation from the Father so that we might be reunited with the Father. Now, in verse 3 through 5, notice that there's a prayer that David makes. And David is making this prayer, but yet it's talking about Jesus. And in the garden, if you remember, we talked about the garden last week. Jesus could see the cross coming. And he could see the separation and the suffering coming. And and he began to prepare for that. And he could see that. And and he was wrestling with that. And he he was calling upon God to help him. And the Bible says that an angel came and ministered to him. And I want you to notice what Jesus did. In, in those verses, he's, what, what kind of prayer? He says, you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Now, Jesus didn't have a crisis of faith like sometimes we may have. 
I read one writer, and I, 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 I like this description that he gave. He said it was a disorientation. Now, think about that for a moment. A disorientation, Jesus from eternity past had always been one with the Father. Never been apart from the Father. But yet on the cross, in a mysterious way, there was a separation. God turned His back upon Jesus because Jesus bore our sins. And Jesus is crying out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here in this psalm, which is pointing to Jesus, the the psalmist talking about Jesus, he begins to rehearse two things about God. And I think this is important for you and I when we go through a time of disorientation, if you will. We we, we don't know which way to go. We're, We're wondering what is happening. Maybe we are going through a time, a crisis of faith, The psalmist David did two things. Number one, he remembered who God was. He said, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. That's why it's so wonderful to come in as we did this morning and sing some of these praise hymns. You're a good, good father. When you're going through a time of of despair, you're going through a time of trouble, you need to focus on God. Remember Peter walking on the water. What was it? As long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But he began to look at the waves. He began to feel the wind blowing through his hair. And he became became afraid. And he began to sink. And my friend, there's a wonderful wonderful truth there that, that when all is failing around us, focus on Jesus. Focus on God. Focus on how big He is. Look at the universe. Look at His creation. Look in the mirror if you can bear it. Look in the mirror and look at how wonderful God's creation is. Even with a little wear and tear, God's creation is wonderful. He created you. He created this world. Look how big He is. Remember that all things are possible with Him. If we begin to focus upon ourselves and our own weaknesses and our own problems, like Peter, we'll begin to sink. Focus on, that's what the psalmist did here. He says, but you are holy. He's talking about all of his trouble and he doesn't understand. But he says, but you are holy. And then not only does he focus on God, God's character and God's nature, but he begins to focus on God's history, what God has already done. He remembers, he said, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Now, we should never live in the past. But every wise man remembers the past. We remember the lessons of the past, the things that perhaps we, the mistakes we made, the things we don't want to do again. But we also need to remember the victories of the past. And we remember, uh, the psalmist said, David said he not only remembered who God is, but he remembered what God had already done. I can remember as a kid, uh, my mother used to read to us out of a great, my, me and my two sisters, and uh, we, I've told this story before, but you get time to go to bed, and uh, there was this great big book she had. I, I, it's, it was called, I remember the name of it, The Golden Treasury of Bible Stories. I don't know where you might get those, but it was a pretty big book. This would have been in the, in the 60s. But uh, she would read the different Bible stories out of that book, you know, and, and I can remember... If she ever was tired, we'd say, Mama, you forgot. Read a Bible story. You know, we hadn't had our Bible story tonight. Come read us a Bible story. 
And, and I thought about all those stories. And, and, you know, as a child, they were ingrained into my mind, you know, Moses and Abraham and David and all those different stories. And, and, and I think back sometimes that all I ever needed, needed to know in life, I learned from the golden treasury of Bible stories. Now, there's a lot more complicated things, and as your mind grows, you begin to dive deeper into, into Scripture. But those basic truths, through all those Bible stories, the, the, the thread that goes through every one of them is that God is faithful. God is faithful. People encounter difficulties. People encounter trouble. They suffer. Things happen we don't understand. But over and over again in all of those Bible stories, the message is God is faithful. You can trust Him. Hold on to Him. Keep your eyes on Him. And even on the cross, that is the message we see. Jesus, David a thousand years before, Jesus on the cross, remembering who God is and remembering what He has already done. Well, notice that... Second passage I read, verse 6, he says, But I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. Now we all remember that's exactly what those that walk by Jesus, uh, we remember the passage in the New Testament where it tells us that those that passed by, they blasphemed Him, they wagged their heads, the Bible says, and they said, you that destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. He saved others Himself He cannot save. If He is the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross and we will believe Him. He trusted in God. Let Him deliver Him now if He will have Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same words. That's from Matthew 27. Jesus hanging on the cross. And hear the very words that David spoke. Their same words were spoken to Jesus on the cross. But there's something interesting in that verse 6. And I may have shared this with you before. I'm sure I have if you remember it. But that word there is very interesting in verse 6. It says, but I am a worm. I am a worm. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, as I've often said. I, I, I can barely speak English, much less Hebrew or Greek, but I do like to read behind people that are. And that's a good truth, by the way. If you're not proficient in something, find somebody that is and follow them. You know, read behind them. But those that are proficient in Hebrew tell us that this word that's translated worm in our English version, it's a very interesting word. And, and again, I, I think I've shared this with some of you before, but as I understand, there's approximately uh, 43 uses of that word in the Old Testament. And it's used to refer to a worm eight different times. One of them is here. But do you know the other 30-something times what it's used to refer to? Scarlet, the color scarlet 34 times. And the color crimson, one time. This word that is used here, but I am a worm. And you might think, well, what does the word, the Hebrew word for worm, how can it be the same word as scarlet or crimson? Well, uh, you study, you find out that there was a type of, uh, of worm in the Middle East there, and it, 
when you crush that worm, it would uh, emit, or, or, or the juices that would come forth from it had a very scarlet, a very deep color, and it was so powerful they actually would take these worms, they would gather them and they would crush them, and they would take that, that red, that crimson coloring, and they would use it to dye their clothes. They used the substance that would come from these worms as a color. And, and they would take their clothes and it would dye and it would color garments crimson or red. So remember, this is the 22nd Psalm. This, this is a psalm that Jesus quoted. And we, we're beginning to get a picture of the crucifixion. Jesus quotes that first verse. And here in this sixth verse, He says, But I am a worm and no man. And yet the word that is used, the type of worm, is a worm that when it's crushed, there's a crimson color that comes. A scarlet color. As a matter of fact, the life cycle of that worm, if you really get to study it, it would always build its little cocoon on a tree, on something wood. And when the little worms would come out, you know, the mother or whatever parent would die and would always leave a red stain on that wood. I thought that's, that's amazing, you know. We think about the cross being stained with the blood of Jesus. And here's this word that is used here to describe the, the, the psalmist David. He's, he's saying, but I am a worm. And he uses that word and it's referring to that little crimson worm who dies, dies on a tree and its little ones live, but it stays dead on the tree and, and stains that tree crimson. Leaves that red stain on the tree. Well, think about what did Jesus, what did Isaiah say about Jesus? If you remember, Isaiah said in 53, Isaiah 53, verse 2, He will grow up before Him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus, not only was He left alone, but here He was scorned. He was scorned. And now notice in verse number 9, it says, But you are He who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near and there is none to help. He's all alone there in this verse. The Bible says that all the disciples had fled. You know, Peter is a wonderful study and I always like to think of Peter, he was the only disciple. Sometimes we think, well, he's the one who cursed and swore and denied that he knew Jesus. But remember, that's only because the rest of them were nowhere to be found. They had already hit the woods. And at least Peter was, was following at a distance. He was close enough. He was still trying to stay kind of close to Jesus that somebody saw him and pointed him out and said, hey, I think you're one of them too. And, and that caused him to be put upon the spot and his fear overwhelmed him and and all of this. But remember, Jesus was the only disciple who was prepared to fight. Remember, He's the only one who defended Jesus physically that the Bible records. He pulled out a sword and, and cut off the high priest's ear. I've often said that 
You know, Peter's the type of guy, if you were in a scrap, you'd want him close by. You know, I, I think Peter was the kind of guy that was uh, a rough-and-tumble guy. He was a fisherman. And, uh, but yet, Peter, we remember, even Peter, the big brave Peter, the big brave fisherman, he had, he had, he had abandoned Jesus. And, and the only one left at the foot of the cross, according to the Gospels, was the youngest of the disciples, probably a teenager, a late teenager. We don't know exactly how old John was, but the Apostle John. Because remember, he was standing at the foot of the cross and maybe it was his youth that caused uh, the Roman soldiers and the officers not to feel threatened by him. Nobody approached John. Nobody accused John. Now Peter, I get the idea, was a big strapping man and thought, well, you know, hey, we need to find out who he is. But, but nobody questioned John. John was just a young man. And of course, you remember Jesus entrusted John with his mother, the care of his mother and and uh, gave John instruction to care for his mother. But all, everybody was gone. Jesus was alone. God the Father had turned His back upon Him because of our sin. All of His disciples had ran away. All of His enemies were standing there wagging their fingers at Him saying, I knew you were nothing. I knew you were nothing the whole time. We told everybody you were nothing. Everybody is wagging their finger at Him. He is all alone. And you know, there's some other reason Jesus was all alone. He was different than any other human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. He was born of a virgin. Different than any other human being who ever walked the face of the earth. He was all alone as He hung upon that cross and notice the struggle he was involved in. Verse 12, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now there's so much there, we really don't have time to go into a lot of it. But the bulls of Bashan, you go back and you study those. The Canaanites believed that the bulls, the bulls they called the bulls of Bashan, they were wild bulls who were out in the wilderness. And in the Canaanites' pagan religion, they believed these wild bulls, because they were so fierce and so wild, that they were possessed by evil spirits. And they used them in their pagan rituals, in their pagan worship. They would often get these wild bulls and use them as a sacrifice. And David uses them to describe the evil that is around him. And think about Jesus on the cross. He's not talking about the Roman soldiers, I don't believe. He's not even talking about the Jewish high priest and those who delivered him up to the Romans. Remember, the cross was a supernatural battle. The Bible tells us that much. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, there the Apostle Paul says that Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, 
having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And then in Hebrews 2.14, he says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Those bulls of Bashan represented the evil. There was a battle on the cross, but it wasn't between Jesus and the Roman soldiers. It wasn't between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. It was between Jesus, the Son of God, and the forces of darkness. It was a spiritual, a supernatural battle on that cross. And then, of course, you can recognize those references to suffering, how he mentions his thirst, the piercing of the body, the hands and the feet. That in and of itself is a Amazing reference. There was no uh, crucifixion in David's day. That was not a, a, um, a form of punishment or execution that was practiced by anyone that we know of. In David's day, it was something the Romans developed and used. He speaks of piercing of his hands and of his feet. And then amazingly, he speaks about dividing my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. You know, what, what happens when a man dies? A man or a woman dies. You want to give your possessions to those closest to you, right? Even prisoners in our modern day, someone dies in prison or is executed, their family has a right to come and pick up their possessions. Their possessions are given to the closest in kin. And yet here's Jesus. His mother's at the foot of the cross. And remember that day, you had garments, but you had that... Uh, th- that outer garment, very important, very important. People had an outer garment. It was like your bedroll all wrapped into one. It-, it was a very important piece of garment. Remember, that's why the Roman soldiers, they didn't want to tear it and divide it up. Then it would be of no value. That's why they decided to gamble for it and cast lots and say, we'll just, we'll just play a game of chance and whoever wins will get the garment. That way it won't be destroyed. Jesus, it wasn't given to his mother wasn't given to those who survived him. How cruel and how, how heartless it was for them to take and to, and to gamble for his clothing. Not even to give that little bit of, of him that was left, that clothing, not even give that to his loved ones. They gambled for his clothes. And then notice there in verse number 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. A final prayer. I think about how Jesus, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then notice the end of verse 21. You have answered me. You have answered me. And I think about those last words that Jesus spoke on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. And from verse 21 to verse 22, it's like you turn a page. I don't know if if in your Bible if it's a place to turn a page there, but it would be a good place because it is a whole different attitude. It's a whole different message. Here you have a message of suffering. You have a message of questioning God why. 
And then all the, the, the evil that is around David as he writes this psalm, speaking of Jesus, although he didn't realize it at the time he wrote it. And here in verse 22, there in verse 21 we have, It is finished. You've answered me. And in verse 22, notice the change in tone. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And fear Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him, He heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear Him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world. Well, let me stop there before I read the rest of that. Do you you see what happened between 21 and 22? Anybody want to guess what happened between 21 and 22? We're going to celebrate it in a couple of weeks. I'll give you a hint. The resurrection... The res- Remember I said in this psalm and the two that follow it, you really have a, a narrative, a picture of Jesus' passion, of His death, of His burial, of His resurrection, and of the church. And what's happening here in verses 22? It's the celebration. It's a, it's a psalm of victory. It goes from a psalm of suffering and a psalm of prayer and questioning and crying out to God. It goes to a psalm of victory, a psalm of praise. And and notice here, I see the church in the verses that I'm about to read going out with the message of the gospel, going out telling about the power of the resurrection. Listen, he says, All the ends of the earth, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship All those who go down to the dust shall bow before Him, even He who cannot keep Himself alive. What did Jesus say? He that lives and believes in Me shall never die. And then verse 30, A posterity shall serve Him. It will be recounted of the Lord to their next generation. They will come and declare His righteousness to a people who will be born that He has done this. So there you have Jesus dying on the cross in the 22nd Psalm being pierced, thirsty, all of those people around Him taking His clothing and gambling for His clothing. And you see Him crying out to the Father. Jesus Himself quoted that very first verse, bringing attention to it, I believe. And then you see the resurrection. And then you see the praise and the celebration. And then you see the message going out to all the ends of the world. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. So that's the crucifixion. That's His work as a suffering Savior. His ministry as a sacrifice for our sin. But the 23rd Psalm, you've got His ministry as a shepherd. The 22nd Psalm, His ministry as a sacrifice and as a Savior. But the 23rd Psalm, His ministry as a shepherd. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I will send you a comforter. I'll go away and I'll send you a comforter. And He will lead and He will guide you into all truth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's given us supply. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. There's a spiritual renewal. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's security and, and safety. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, account, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's where we are today. Walking this earth with Jesus as our shepherd, with the Holy Spirit as our guide. The 22nd Psalm was Jesus 2,000 years ago dying on the cross. The 23rd Psalm is Jesus walking with we that are His sheep today. And lastly, the 24th Psalm is what is yet to come. It is Jesus coming again. Jesus coming again and reigning forever and ever. And I just want to read this to you. It's only ten verses. It says, The earth is the Lord's and its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? He that has a clean hand and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I want, you, I want to compare something. Look in verse, chapter Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we close with Psalm 24, verse 10. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. It's like we go from Psalm 22.1, singing up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners death on the cross, that He might save them from endless loss. That's Psalm 22.1. But then we end up with Psalm 24. Verse 10. And it's like we end up singing, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown Him Lord of all. From the 22nd Psalm to the 24th Psalm, written 1,000 years before Jesus walked this earth, we see a picture of Jesus being crucified. The Savior, the sacrifice for our sin. We see a picture in the 23rd Psalm of Jesus the Shepherd guiding us and leading us and meeting our needs as we walk this earth. And in the 24th Psalm, we see a picture of Jesus as Sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who one day will reign over all creation, who's coming back again. And my friend... God wrote that for us. He wrote it for us. I don't see how man could put that together. How that could come together. You have that vivid a picture 
of all of those events coming a thousand years in the future. God did it. He wrote it. That we might know that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He's here as our shepherd and He's coming again as our sovereign. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for David, Your servant, that You allowed to pen these words a thousand years before Jesus walked this earth to speak of His suffering, His sacrifice upon the cross, to give us the promise, Lord, that He would be our shepherd because He is the Good Shepherd. He told us that He is the Good Shepherd. And Father, also to give us the promise and encouragement that He is coming again to rule and reign forever and ever as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I thank You. We praise You. We pray that if there's one here today that needs to make a decision for You, that Your Holy Spirit would draw them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand